This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, I've been listening to Keith Green for the, like the last three weeks. I didn't even know we were going to do that today. What a prophetic voice. Oh, love Keith Green. We are um, in a series called Upper Room. If you're new with us today, we are, we are kind of walking through John 13 through 17, which is our Lord's time with his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross. And he's just pouring into their lives and preparing them for the future as disciples. And he's doing that for us as disciples too. So today we have come to the second part of chapter 14. It's all about the new life in Christ. So turn there in your copy of God's Word, John chapter 14. And so we're going to begin with verse 15 today and go through the end of chapter 14. We're looking at different aspects of the new life in Christ that we've been given. Jesus says, beginning in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's leave this place. Father, as we come before you now, we we ask for your spirit to work through your word and that your son would be glorified and exalted before our eyes. 
that the gospel of Jesus would, would be as beautiful and as glorious to us as it truly is. Open the eyes of our hearts now that we would behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of his book, Forgotten God, author Francis Chan says this, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no Christian would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives, and many of them do not believe they can, which is why we need texts like the one that we're looking at today. Because the new life in Christ that we've been given is a spirit life, a life empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at at verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, just to refresh ourselves on the context of where we are here, we saw a couple of weeks ago in verse 12 that Jesus says there, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room, the, the, the entire Jesus movement is of a relatively small group of people confined to a relatively small piece of land in the Middle East. But within a generation, of that night, it would have spread to the entire Mediterranean world, and now within the lifetimes, possibly of some of the people who are are seated here today, or watching today, the gospel will reach and penetrate to every tribe and tongue of people on this earth. How did that happen? Well, Jesus told us exactly how it would happen. In Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here in the upper room, Jesus uses a special name for the Holy Spirit. It's parakletos, the, the paraclete. And translations translate it different ways. In some translations, it's translated as counselor. It can be translated as comforter or helper or advocate. It's one who comes alongside. The the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes alongside us as our counselor, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. Now, isn't that what Jesus had been to these guys for three years? Yes. He had been all of those things to them. But now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you another counselor who is going to come. And and it's going to be even better because what does he say here? He is going to be, be with you and will be in you, actually, and dwell you. 
Look at chapter 16. Turn to chapter 16 in your Bibles, and we'll get a preview of things to come in chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. How have we missed this? Why is the Holy Spirit so neglected? It could be that we've overreacted to abuses. It could be that we've heard some unbiblical teaching about the Holy Spirit and we become so afraid of wildfire that we, neg- we neglect the fire, we quench the fire. But the answer to bad teaching about the Holy Spirit is not no teaching about the Holy Spirit, but good teaching, biblical teaching about the Spirit. Oh, we, we desperately need the Spirit to be effective in the Christian life. We are not meant to do this alone. It's the Spirit who gives us boldness, first of all, in, in our witness. I mean, this is what we, we see in Acts 1.8. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out in Acts 1.8, what does he say? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He gives us boldness for witness. In Acts 4 and Verse 31, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Ask the Spirit to give you boldness to tell people about Jesus. That's what the world needs to hear from us as believers. They need to hear the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done plainly, boldly. J.D. Greer talks about becoming friends with a Muslim imam, a Muslim preacher. And so he invited this imam and his family over for for dinner with his family. And so before the the meal, J.D. said to the the Muslim imam, he said, listen, why don't don't you... um, being of a different faith, you, you pray before the meal for your family the way you guys usually pray, and, and we'll do the same. And the imam said, well, why don't we get our daughters to do it? So J.D. said, sure. And so the imam's little girl prayed. She was about 11 years old. She prayed in Arabic for about a minute. And then when she was done, it was J.D.'s daughter's turn, and Karis was only seven years old at the time. But she, this was her, this was her prayer as she prayed that night. Karis just bowed her head and she said, dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so we could be saved. And thank you for leaving your holy word so we could all know about it. And thanks for the food. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that God would give us the plain spoken boldness of that little girl. It's the Spirit that does that. He gives us boldness in witnessing. He gives us the assurance of God's love. In Romans 8 and verse 16, the Bible says, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Now listen, all of us as believers, we know intellectually that, that 
that we are God's children, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings that home to our hearts in a real way, in an experiential way that, that, that continually assures us that we are indeed children of God and that God loves us. The great Puritan pastor Thomas Goodwin told a, a story about a, a father and son, a little boy who were walking along the road. And of course the child knew that he was a child of the father and he knew that his father loved him. But then suddenly the father just picks the little boy up in his arms and he looks him in the eye and he says, I love you so much. I will never leave you. I am so thankful for you that you belong to me. You always know how much I love you. Puts him down and they go on walking together. See, that's, that's a special experience, a special reassurance of God's love. That's what the Spirit does to us. When our kids were little before bed, we used to read the book Goodnight Moon to them. And many of you know it, but the, the, the book revolves around the saying, I love you to the moon and back. And so we would read Goodnight Moon and a lot of times I'd tuck them in and our ritual was I would look them in the eye and say, I love you to the moon and they would whisper and back. <laughs> That's not head knowledge of love. That's a love relationship. And that's what the Spirit brings home to us continually as he assures us of God's love. The Spirit gives us supernatural guidance. I was at an IB trustees meeting a couple of weeks ago in, in Richmond, and I've been here since about at the office since about 5.30 that morning, working on a message and worked until about the middle of the day and then drove up there. I was tired, threw my stuff down, went down to the fitness center in the hotel to work out. And I was just, I had a meeting later on that night and so I was just gonna go get a takeout for dinner. And so I walked out to the car in the hotel parking lot just to go you know, grab something. And as soon as I sat down in the car, I had the strongest impression from the Holy Spirit that I was not to go get takeout, that I was to go seek a friend to have dinner with. And so I get out of the car, walk back into the hotel lobby, and there is Nate, a fellow trustee pastor from Kentucky. And so I said, hey man, why don't we grab dinner tonight just here in the hotel? He's like, oh, great. So go up, shower, come back down. There's Nate. Nate has grabbed Brian, who's a trustee from California. On the way into the restaurant, we grab Marshall, a trustee from South Carolina. We're sitting down, and I look over the corner of my eye, and I see Keith, a trustee from Oregon, who's getting ready to eat alone. I'm like, hey, man, why don't you come over and, and join us? So he comes over. We make room for a table for five. And we sit down, and Marshall just says to us, and we all know one another, Marshall just says to us, Nate is discouraged. And so for the next 90 minutes, the brother poured his heart out to us. And I can't describe to you what was happening at this table, but it was, it was pure love and encouragement that was flowing life to life, brother to brother. And Nate was encouraged, and we were blessed. And 
existing friendships were deepened and new friendships were made. And it went back to listening to the Holy Spirit <laughs> not to get takeout that night. Now, those experiences don't happen in my life every day. But I'll tell you what does happen every day. Every single morning after I grind coffee beans <laughs> and get coffee, I open up this book. And it is absolutely remarkable, day after day after day, how God's word just seems to be targeted exactly to what I'm going through, exactly to what I'm facing, as the Spirit of God works through his word. The Christian life is meant to be a supernatural life. We, we sometimes do life as if, you know, G, Jesus is like a teacher who just leaves the, the, the room and says, hey, just manage on your own until I return. No! Jesus has given us his spirit, and he will be with you and in you. The Christian life is meant to be a spirit life. Second, a resurrection Life. Look at verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you in a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. What was it that was going to transform these freaked out, frightened, fragile guys who were huddled behind locked doors into people who were willing to die for their faith, and in most cases did die for their faith. It was the fact that they had seen the risen Christ. And Jesus told them it was going to happen. He says, in a, in a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too you will have a resurrection life. And so as believers, we have been raised from the dead. We sung it earlier. I was dead in the grave, right? We, spiritually, we were. We were dead in trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2, 1 says. But then what happened? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. We have been raised spiritually, and one day when Christ returns, we will be raised physically with glorified bodies. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. Praise God. A resurrection life. Third, the new life in Christ is a life of love. We're called to lives of love. Love is pervasive throughout the upper room discourse. What do we see here in verse 15? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Look at verse 21. He says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So here is a theme that runs throughout 
John's writings. It's that, it's that obedience to the commands of Christ is motivated by love for Christ. But what is it that gives us love for Christ? That motivates love for Christ? If obedience is motivated by our love for Christ, what is it that motivates our love for Christ? It's his love for us. It's his love for us. Let's turn to 1 John. I want you to turn, turn in your Bibles to 1 John 4 because we're going to look at several texts here in 1 John 4 about the fact that, that our, 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 our obedience to Christ's commands, which is motivated by our love for him, springs from the fountain first of all, of his love for us. So it's Christ's love for us, and then we respond by, we love him, and if we love him, we desire to obey him. That's the way it works. So 1 John chapter 4, and let's look first of all at verse 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And one of, the, one of the sure marks that that has happened is that we love other Christians. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verses 20 and 21 here in 1 John 4. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he, whom he, whom he, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Back up to verses 7 and 8 here of 1 John 4. I remember learning this as a song at Triple R Ranch as a little kid. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, look at verses 10 and following. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God has loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Which is why Jesus says in the upper room in John 13, 35, by this Will all people know that you are my disciples? What? If you love one another. The church is to be a community of love for one another. Paul captures this in Ephesians 4 and verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, lives of love. Well, Paul ends there by talking about peace, and that's the fourth aspect of the new life that we see here in John 14. It's lives of peace, lives of peace. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Now, peace is a, the, the common greeting in the Middle East. In the Jewish world, it's shalom. You greet people with shalom. In the Arab world, it's salam or assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. They're wonderful greetings. Okay, but when we greet people like that, we're just, we're wishing peace upon them. But only Jesus can give peace. We can wish it, but only Jesus can, can give it. And that's what he's doing here in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now there are three dimensions of this peace. First of all, vertical. That's peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Horizontal. That's peace with others. So we just saw in Ephesians 4. And then there's personal peace, peace within, which is kind of what Jesus is talking about here in, in verse 27. Because these guys were troubled at night. They're, they were troubled. They were fearful. And Jesus is, is, is giving them his peace, and he gives it to us. D.A. Carson defines it this way. Carson says that this peace is personal serenity that is not based on an ability to avoid troubles, but on a faith that transcends them. And this is exactly what Jesus says at the end of chapter 16. Look at, at chapter 16 and verse 33 in your Bibles. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And how deeply encouraging is this? Because Jesus is realistic. In this world, we will have trouble. We will have tribulation. It's just the nature of life in this fallen world that we live in. But Jesus says that, that, that even in the midst of that, that we can have his peace. Even in the midst of suffering, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Don't worry about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look back at chapter 14 and Verse 27 again. Look at these words again. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. There's one more thing I want us to see about this. How weird would these words be if they were spoken by a man who was only a man? How weird would it be for someone who is only a man to say, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. It, it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. 
Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Let's pray. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is Jesus Christ to you a historical figure that you've heard about? Or is Christ your savior and your king? I wanna invite you right now to turn to Jesus and trust him as your savior, your Lord, your king that the Holy Spirit would make this real to you and open your heart to respond to him. There's new life in Christ. There's abundant life in Christ. There's eternal life in Christ. He loves you like no one else loves you. And that love was demonstrated on a cross where he bore the sins of people like me and you. And then he rose from the dead, defeating death for all who will trust in him. Turn to him today. Trust him today. Give your life over into his hands. If you're here as a believer, I hope that you've seen through this text today that the Christian life cannot be lived in our own strength. We cannot do this alone. We need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working actively in our lives. He works through his word. He works through the body of Christ. We need one another and we need to love one another. The Spirit works through the body of Christ as we encourage one another, as we build one another up in Him. Father, we thank you for this new life that we've been given in Christ. Lord, how we pray for any who might be here today or any who might be listening or watching that did not know you a few minutes ago. We pray that by your spirit, you would open hearts, that you would grant new life, and that people would walk through the open door that you have provided into the new life that you have won for us through your cross and through your resurrection. Lord, make us people who are 
living in the power of your spirit. People who are living out the resurrection life and the lives of love and the lives of peace that you have called us to. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.